I imagine it does that like mother cleaver and father cleaver, you know, taking their kids out for a family vacay to the Grand Canyon. Like that's what I always think of. And my vacations growing up, I was sent to South Carolina for three months by myself. How is that a vacation? That seems like cheating. That's not a vacation. That's like boarding school. Yeah, boarding school with your very Italian grandparents. So did you at least get get to eat like lots of noodles? Uh, exclusively noodles, pretty well, much. I mean, that's kind of like a vacation. It's a pasta vacation. I haven't even got that far into drinking. So anyways, I'm Jennifer. And I'm Anthony. And you're listening to All Things Terror. Today is an interlude. It's not a real episode. People might be wondering, who is this Anthony person anyways? Would you like to tell everyone who you are? Who am I? That is, that is the actual question. What um, am I? What is my purpose? Where am I? Um, I am, I guess, just a friend of yours, and uh, we've uh, we work together for the same un- unnamed place. And we started talking about podcasts because I also make podcasts, but I make fiction podcasts. They're just sci-fi fantasy stories, um, and they're all short. So why do you want to tell everybody a story about something terrifying? Well, it's funny because I don't listen to too many nonfiction podcasts, to be honest, and yours is, is one that I listen to all the time. And so obviously I'm thinking about all these terrifying stories that you tell me, and so I wanted to think about one that I've um, sort of always heard about tangentially. Like, I don't know if you remember the show Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, Unsolved Mysteries was like my favorite thing to just like sit and watch uh, when I was like waiting for, you know, family events and stuff like that. That was like my go to like I'm bored and I'm waiting for something to happen show. So I remember seeing this on Unsolved Mysteries when I was a little kid. And so hold on time out. First off, you didn't get to have real family vacations. You went on pasta boarding school vacations. Yes. And two, your go-to, like, chill and vegetate, relax, you know, let the stresses of your childhood life unwind television show was Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Yeah, I'm realizing now how, how strange that must sound. <laughs> um and it was, it's even stranger to think it was just back and forth between Unsolved Mysteries and the 1960s Adam West Batman show, which... That's blue and gray Batman. Right. And maybe if I were created in a lab, those two things would probably be elements that they needed to use to create me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember seeing this story on Unsolved Mysteries, and obviously your show just like reminded me about all all the things that I like about mysteries and terror and history and all all that stuff. And that's why I listen. But also the stories that you remember from a kid that you're like, is that a real story? Did I read that somewhere? Did I see that somewhere? Was it real in real life or was it just real to me as a kid? So Anthony. Yes. Tell me your story. All right. So if you've ever imagined a family vacation in the 1950s like I have, like, if Where that's something you do regularly. Literally cookies coming out of the oven in the back of a car. No, like, okay. <laughs> so, imagine a 1950s residence where the previous night's meals have been consumed and the dishes are in the sink. There's a mom and a dad living in the house, and they have four beautiful kids living in the house with them, all between the ages of 28 11. Now the 28 year old doesn't live there. So it's just these young kids and their parents. It's actually during December 
So they just went to a Christmas party. It's early December, so that kind of struck me as weird. Um, but they even have a Santa's outfit on the couch from the night before. So question, how much tuna and jello is in the meal from the previous night? Because that's like a thing that people would eat in the 1950s. Yeah, and like salads with just mayo and like one other ingredient. Yeah. Yeah. Is that okay? I'm I'm in the mo I'm in the moment. I'm here. It's real. I can smell the terrible tuna scents wafting from the trash can. You know what's even better? In their driveway, well, in their driveway used to be a 1954 Ford station wagon. Oh, fancy. Does it have the wood paneling? It was red and beige with wood paneling. Oh my god. It's so, perfect. I think the thing that fascinates me the most about the 50s is it's really the only decade that gets idealized to the extent that it does, right? Like every other decade, even the 20s, like with the cool and the hip and the flat, like everyone knows that it's like Prohibition era and like there's still tons of terrible stuff and, and seedy stuff going on. But like you think about the 50s, you don't really think about too much seediness um, because of the rosy picture that's just been perpetuated for decades. They're very good at the facade. Yes. Yes, that's like the era of the facade, for sure. And so I think about it, and again, you think about this empty, perfect 1950s household around Christmas time. Their family is about to drive out to the country to pick greenery to decorate for Christmas, to build wreaths together. Oh, God, I need to go vomit. Ugh, seriously? Well, this show's called All Things Vomit, right? <laughs> yes, oh, and, okay. and All Things Poop as well. All Things Poop, damn it. We got to it already. It's only been a few minutes. We have And she's not even here. Emily, this excrement is for you. <laughs> yes, that excrement was for you. Now, just imagine the family with the three daughters, Barbie, 14, Susan, 13, and Virginia, 11. They cannot be any more 50s. Did they call Virginia and Jenny at all? I don't, I can't confirm that, but for this, for the points of this story, I think we can say that they did. Okay. Kenneth and Barbara are mom and dad. Kenneth is 54. Barbara's 48, so he did pretty well for himself. That's true. Yeah. You know, must be a handsome fella. Or, or she's just really into station wagons. And we're not talking about the one that he drives. <laughs> okay. That's, we just shattered the porcelain <laughs> 50s image with phallic uh, jokes. Um, but. Christmas time, they're going out to get decorations to build wreaths, which I think is the most adorable thing any family could ever do. I'm imagining the kids, too, like, Barbie's like, come on, Ginny, we're going to go pick some berries to put in our wreaths. Like, I don't, I just imagine it to be the best, most wholesome thing that's ever happened, which I think also makes this more terrifying and maybe just sad. I don't know if it's the portrayal and what's been done to our collective consciousness in terms of the 50s or not, but it makes it all the more terrifying. So they get into their nine-passenger cream and red 1954 Ford station wagon. They're in Oregon. They're en route to Columbia Gorge. Very wholesome. Now, that is all that is known about this story. That family, on the morning of December 7th, 1958, went out to collect Christmas decorations and never arrived home. Hmm. All of them. 100%, including, wait, not the 28-year-old. The 28-year-old was in the Navy at the time. Okay. So, Kenneth never shows up to his job on Monday, and the electric company's like, Kenneth's a model employee, he's never late. He, he always shows up. Of course he does, because he's perfect, and right. his name is Kenneth. Right. They report him missing, and the cops show up, and like I said, they find plates 
in the dishes, undisturbed, money in the house, jewels in the house. Did the family have a gun in the house? We're going to get to firearms. Oh my god. L- later on okay. In, in the story. I'm shutting up. Yeah. I'm shutting up. No, you're you're very prescient. So, they never arrive home and since they don't arrive home, the car isn't discovered either. This beautiful 1950s station wagon is never recovered. So, as you know, they were traveling towards Columbia River and Columbia Gorge. You know what a gorge is? Yes. It's a big fucking hole. Yeah. A long, (laughs) big fucking hole. (laughs) Basically a a giant hole. This is a very scientific moment. Right. Um, I believe all... um, Now I'm trying to think of the word of people who study Earth. Earth studiers. (laughs) Earth earth thinkers, scientists, people. There's a word for it. It's fancy. The Earth people studiers. (laughs) Geologists. That's it. Geologists everywhere fucking hate us right now. But... Um, so yes, they're driving towards Columbia Gorge. And can you guess as to what one of the theories of their disappearance might be? They fell into the gorge. They drove off the gorge. I mean, that's believable. And in February of 1959, a searcher discovered tire tracks matching the vehicle heading off of a cliff into, into Columbia River. Question. Yes. Um, how many times did it rain? And also, how many of those cars that exist in the world would also have matching tire tracks? Exactly. There's way too much that could have disturbed that area, unless it's in a highly untrafficked area. Now, the thing that makes it interesting, this uh, explanation for why the disappearance. So, a month after somebody said they saw tracks going off into the gorge that matched the car, there was a drilling rig near the site of the tire tracks that they saw. And the drilling rig was hooked onto something heavy and metal in its anchor, but before it could be pulled to the surface, it came loose and went down the river. Could be a bumper, the front of the car. Yeah, okay. I see that as being plausible. Plausible. It's in the realm of potentiality. Right. So... A couple of days after they nearly pull this large metallic object from the river, they discover Susan and Virginia's bodies. And where did they find the bodies? They found them downstream near Bonneville Dam. So they loosened up the bodies from the car, maybe. Police started to believe that the Martins either accidentally drove their car into the river, or... Were they part of the witness protection program? Nobody knows anything about these Oh my god. (laughs) That's what's so wild. And like, this is the era of, hey, the CIA is starting to exist. Hey, the FBI is starting to exist. Like, making people disappear is a thing now. Forensic science is in its baby stages. Mm -hmm. So it's like literally the, the perfect storm to just do fucked up shit. So to me, those police theories are basic, boring. Honestly, what I would generally expect from the police. Did you just call them basic bitches? I kind of did. You are so rude. I kind of did. Now, the only surviving member of the family was the oldest son, Donald. And for some reason, I just have a good feeling about people with that name. (laughs) Um, And I really don't have any evidence to the contrary. Does he go by Donald, Donnie, Don? Was Donald Duck in the Navy? I need the internet to tell me this. I mean, ducks are great swimmers, so it would make sense. I just remember him wearing, like, a blue shirt and that dumb white hat. And no pants. Yeah, but who would wear pants if they had to? Nobody. Like Winnie the Pooh. 
All right. Okay, anyways. Anyways. So Donald was in New York when all his family disappeared. When they found Susan in Virginia, they couldn't determine a cause of death. But what they did find, which I think is hysterical when they say they can't determine the cause of death, is that Virginia's body had a hole in its skull. A bullet-sized hole in its skull. If they drove off the gorge, how do you get a hole in your head? Well, that's a matter of whether it's a pre- or post-mortem. Listen, I read forensic (laughs) books, okay? I've watched forensic files. You can't trick me. They find this, they find a stolen car and a bloodstained gun near the accident, and they just found a body with a hole in the head. So police are thinking, we got this, see? You know, that's how I imagine them talking back then. Yes, because they're all in like a Dick Tracy movie. Yeah, that's that's what I that's what I figure. You wanna know my favorite part about this gun? It belonged to someone in the family. You're very close. Someone it is somehow Directly or indirectly linked to the family? Pretty much. Is it a military gun? So, the serial number on the gun is tied back to a store that young Donald used to work at and is the same gun young Donald was accused of stealing from that same store. Oh, Donald. So I think it's compelling, but by no means a smoking gun. You don't deserve (laughs) friends. No, no one likes you. Okay. (laughs) That's what I thought, but um, you want to know the best part? Hmm. So they find this gun, blood gun, next to a blood gun, a bloodied gun, next to a stolen car. Okay, blood gun next to a blood (laughs) car near a blood body. Under a blood moon. By the bloody gorge. (laughs) So they find a bloody gun next to a stolen car, not miles from where they just found a gunshot victim from a missing family, and they don't process it at all. Wait. You have to define process. They don't fingerprint it. Um, they don't register. Um, they don't um, look into the gun as a piece of evidence in the they don't test in fire. the murder. They don't swab it. They don't do anything. Okay. The, it, from what I understand, it doesn't get put into evidence at all. Cool. So on December eighth, after this all happened, Roy Light and another unnamed man, who are both convicts, ex-convicts, were arrested for car theft. And when they were arrested, they found evidence that connected them to the stolen car that was found near the bloodied gun. This muddies up everything. No, it doesn't. No, and I know doesn't. where your brain might be going, but let 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 me posit how it you might muddy it. You don't know me. And then you, you don't know t- anything about me. And then you and then you rip my whole theory to shreds. So, these two ex-convicts who are in town connected to the car that was found miles away are caught, and a waiter at the restaurant. Where they, where they were actually arrested, said, oh, I see them in here all the time. And so the police questioned this person, and this person put the convicts at the restaurant on the day that the Martins disappeared. Apparently, they left the restaurant at the same time as the Martins, who actually stopped for gas, because I guess back then, gas stations were like adjacent to restaurants. Oh, yeah. Haven't you watched every 1950s movie ever where there's like a diner and right across from the diner there's a gas station? Those people (laughs) were eating burgers and shakes while that family was getting gas. And apparently they leave at the exact same time. Now, granted, it's all conjecture, but I think powerful in in a way where it could be because, hey, I know you're a convict now, so I think I saw you leaving when the Martins... It could be that. It could be purely psychological. 
or it could be a true just dawning of like, oh crap, I did see them. And and you, how you would know the difference? I don't know. That's well, the- I have a very important question for you. Please. Do we know where these convicts are from? These convicts are from the exact same town. Did they have any history of going to any type of military service? We don't know. Mm, I have an idea. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. So, after all of this happened, and they found the gun and the serial number, um, even though it wasn't put into evidence, I guess the police aren't that stupid. Um, Because once they found these convicts, they started to question them in terms of their connection with Donald. And they started to believe that Donald was involved with the disappearance because they couldn't find any other motive. Well, 1950s, right? There's not as much type of forensic capacities are there there are now and police back then couldn't predict that one day like 30 40 50 years later we could swab Mm. take the swab and like test the dna or compare um striping on the bullets and all that stuff so like sure that's probably not as important as finding a person and intimidating or finding a way to catch them in a trap and get a confession but it sounds like murder for hire to me. They say that Donald had a poor relationship with his family. Again, I'm not sure how much stock I can put into this because I feel like if you're the only person that survives your entire family's death, at least one person is going to start to say, I don't think they had a very good relationship with their family. Well, why did Donald go into the military in the first place? Nobody knows Donald's motivations because Donald doesn't cooperate with the investigation. Fair. Donald doesn't talk to the police. Fair. Donald doesn't attend the burial services of his sisters. Mm, That would probably be disturbing. Donald only returns back to the town one more time in the rest of his life to settle the estate. Also fair. For Donald, did he talk about his relationship at all with his family? So, the way Donald tells it, the only instance, and it's from a conversation with the police and... um. He sees no reason for anyone to ever want to hurt his family, but thinks it's suspicious, which to me is so rich because it's like, yeah, dude, you're the suspicious part. Like, so the fact that he would like in an interview with cops be like, you know, it probably was an accident, but it is kind of weird, isn't it? Like when you're the number one suspect to me takes either full innocence or just the fortitude of steel. Maybe he just wasn't that smart and didn't realize he was burying himself. Or that. What I always think about is, A, how terrifying it is that you wake up with your family one day to go do the most, like, wholesome, cheesy thing in the world, and that's the day you die. Like, that concept, like, even, like, saying it out loud is just weirdly heavy and gives me weird Or, you know, like, butterflies. the day that you start your new job and also just die. I think it's this uh, knowing in hindsight that makes this story and a lot of the stories that like you and Emily tell just really frightening because you look back and you look at the beginnings of these stories and you know where it's going. People going hiking. Right. Yeah. People going hiking. People setting up a colony. Right. These these wonderful. (laughs) I don't feel as bad about saying that. Well, colonies. Yeah. Colonizers aren't the best. People just living their lives and all of a sudden there's a volcano or 
so forth and so on. Like, you never know what the future is going to be. So at any second, you might get stabbed in the face by a pair of scissors sitting on a desk while recording a podcast. And that would have been your last day. <laughs> um, so the questions surrounding it still are, did they accidentally drive off the gorge? Did they have an accident and drive off the gorge, like trying to skid out of the way of an animal or something like that? Were they murdered or abducted and, and tied in some way and then pushed off into the gorge? Were, um, were they the victim of these two convicts acting independently who were just on a car robbing murder spree? Was it a murder for hire by their son? Did their son actually commit the murders themselves? Because like you said, just having records that you're in New York doesn't actually mean back then that you were in New York. So was it done by Donald's hand? Was Donald hiring the convicts? Right. So it's like all these threads seem to interlink, but could also exist in reality as purely separate from one another. And that that's another reason why they this could is have also weird. Driven off the gorge by accident because they heard a gunshot. The little girl, unfortunately, got shot. The family freaks out, drives off the cliff. Everyone drowns. So maybe all of it's true. Donald maybe have casually mentioned to the comments, like, oh, you want this gun? Here's this gun. It's cool. I want, like, $200. By the way, God, my family, LOL. And the convicts remember that. Or the convicts stole that gun from the store that Donald worked at. And it just happened to be... Okay. And it just happened in the future that that convict would kill the, Donald's family. Time out. How big of a town are we talking about? This is Oregon in 1954. So, like, maybe 300 people at Tops. most? Uh, I don't know. I guess it could be a string of coincidences. Yeah, this is a head-scratcher. Because it wouldn't be that unbelievable. Like, he would have had contact if he was in the same age range as those people with, like, people that are bad seeds. No, no bad seeds. Or Donald had no connection with it at all, but maybe they did steal the gun together. Like, maybe that part of it Donald was involved with, and then... For some reason, maybe Donald wronged these two dudes and and they're like, you know what? We're going to kill his whole family, which is a bit drastic. Um, but that also seems very 1950s. I don't know. There's just something about how wholesome this all is and began and how what a myriad of ways it could have gone. And all of them, except for even the accident ones, are frightening. I think the parents did it. And are still alive somewhere? So, well, they were. They obviously did not outlive their son. Well, that's another interesting fact, right? Like, if it's at a dam... At, so the dam is going to stop all these bodies. How did the dam stop the two, two smallest bodies and not the three largest bodies? Yeah, and I mean, like, more curiously, like, where did that metal object go? And what was it? Yeah. I mean, could the rest of the bodies still be in there? But... I wonder, like, maybe they, right. maybe, uh, maybe the parents were just like the last two kids. We can't, we can't with them. They're and, so annoying. And maybe they did hate their son a little bit and they just had the one perfect child. Right. And they're like, you know what? They know all these things about Donald. They could have hired the convicts. Maybe Donald did steal the weapon. 
right? He stole the gun. He probably, he would have told, if he was like a good son, he could have told his parents and they right. would have kept it. And the, yeah. And the parents were like, look, we'll, we'll defend you. We'll get you out of this jam, but you have to give us the gun. And then they hire Whoa. those two hoodlums. Yeah. Uh, my theory is trash, but. <laughs> well, and like you also said, record keeping is shit. So like the car that they found that was stolen was the exact same model and year car as the car that family was driving, but it was it was registered to someone else, so they're like, oh, it's not the same. It's a license swap. It's a license plate swap. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> so, like, maybe the parents are alive, and, and I don't... It's it's just weird, but then what happened to Barbie, right, the 14-year-old? She was the perfect daughter. She she made it out with the parents. And that, and that But again, think about, like... Were the other two kids, were they, like, problem children? Were they sick? Gosh, there's like they were the picture of perfect family. Question. But think about like what you were like when you were 14, 13, 11. Like and what the last moments of your life might have been like in in any of those scenarios. Any single one of all like 12 of them. That's fucking horrific. Like you're a sophomore, you're a freshman in high school at the oldest. That's I don't know, that's just terrifying. What if the whole family was in witness protection for some reason. And they could, like, only fake two bodies. Yeah, and it was, like, some <laughs> conspiracy-level shit. Like, somebody found out about them living in this tiny town, and, like, the police were willing to, or the FBI was willing to, like, let those convicts off for doing, like, being part of, like, this Holy whole charade. Oh, my gosh, that's also, that's also a maybe. I mean, J. Edgar Hoover would have done literally anything if he wanted to kill you for whatever reason so they had no there there's no way of identifying those bodies accurately like you said without testing the dna of the bones like how else would you know or dental records dental records oh man it could totally be a cover-up what if they all lived out their full natural lives what if it was barbie and donald in cahoots with each other because they like hate it maybe they're Maybe their parents were, like, abusing them or something. Mm -hmm. And Barbie was, like, writing to her. Holy crap. Barbie was writing to her big brother, who's, like, in the Navy, and, like, telling, te like, I'm, I'm doing the text fingers, but, like, it's 1954, so, you know, I got to pretend to write on a, on a letter. But, like, maybe they were sending letters to each other, and Barbie's like, look, it's getting horrible. Like, we're all being abused. He, he's thinking about his 14-year-old, 13-year-old, 11-year-old sister being abused, has two convict buddies, Tells Barbie to get them the gun. But why the two bodies? I mean, if it were those two, maybe mm. they were the ones that weren't victimized. And <laughs> You just have to die. Well, no. I mean, like, if you think about it, there are abuse dynamics where there are, like... Oh, they, they hate them for not being abused. And there are children that get preferential treatment. Oh, shit. And sometimes those kids can turn around and be malicious. I mean, it's never the children's fault, right? They don't know any better, but... I told you the story was going to spiral. Yeah, we're, we're going down all kinds of crazy theory rabbit holes. By the way, they're all bad, but... <laughs> they could work. That's the, that's the crazy part. And maybe the most scary part is that all of these could be plausible because we've got, like, really nothing to no go No information, by. yeah. That's crazy. Well, what have you learned? Well... Not to get murdered by a 14-year-old named Barbie. 
I think I've learned really to just be paranoid of every moment in my life. Because even the good ones could be foreshadowing my death. <laughs> um, but honestly, like this type of case, I don't think goes unsolved today. I mean, maybe, but it's not a perfect science right now either. So. Yeah. But it's true. That probably would have got solved pretty quickly in 2019. A couple places where today would have obviously stepped in. Testing the blood on the gun. Yep. Right? Um, identifying the bodies. Identifying the bodies without a shadow of a doubt. Um, obviously, deep dive and excavation teams and things like that to go into that river and try to get the the car and any any other evidence like closer to when it was actually also confirmation on that stolen car thing the tire tracks being able to like match to a tire rather than just a type of vehicle look deeper into um the convict history where they went to high school who their associates were talked to a gun store owner yeah i mean in today's day and age like the convicts would have tweet dm'd like you know donald and been like it's done you know or something stupid like oh, a, well yeah a coffin emoji <laughs> you know like they would have written a story about it and posted on some fandom site yeah it would have been like the car emoji the splash emoji and then like the dead like skulls and then like a check yep that's exactly what the emojis would be <laughs> so yeah i don't it's i think there's there's something there's something about that did you like this story I did, and I learned something. What'd you learn? Um, don't trust the 1950s. Like, just everything in that era is, like, really fucked up. I love your point about, like, the the facade era. And I think if you dig a little more into that, there's darkness and opportunity for darkness when everyone's trying to deny that and live up to some sort of unreachable, unrealistic, fantasy level of idealism. Like... If you tell your kids it's okay to talk to strangers and play outside and do all these things without warning them of very real dangers, then what you're going to get is the weird shit that happened in the 1950s over and over and over again. I mean, how many serial killers from the 1950s are like legend? Mm -hmm. And it's all preying off of like this idea, well, this idyllic 1950s picket fence, like 2.5 children, that kind of bullshit, or like... How many people have died for the sake of keeping a marriage together that mm-hmm. clearly isn't going to work and that kind of stuff. So, And I think that veneer you're talking about also lends itself to why the investigation went so terribly. Because like they were just like, oh, it was probably an accident. They probably just drove off the cliff. Yeah. Because they saw like, oh, they were they were having a beautiful Christmas party and they were going to decorate wreaths. And so they just they didn't even they think to They just ate tuna check. and jello. For real, tuna and jelly is so gross. gross. What is that? Disgusting. But yeah, that is that is the Martin family vacation, and this is where I think we would like close a like a a photo album that's like covered in blood and weird stuff. Yes, we have a bloody photo album right now. Yeah, we are literally and figuratively closing the bloody family photo album. I think that's also another one of my favorite parts about this story, like Martin family vacation. Just sounds so great. It's like I'm going to tell you a story. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a wholesome story about the Martin family vacation, and they're all dead. Hi, this is Emily, and if you thought you got rid of me, you're wrong. I'm here to tell you that All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor for this episode was our guest and friend of the pod, Anthony. 
Clint will be back soon. He's just hard at work on season two. Our intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast or Twitter at All Things Terror. Anthony can be reached at 2298pod or A-R-O-L-I-V-I-E-R-I.com. Go listen more to his dulcet tones too, friends. And as always, if you like this, give us a rate, a review, or a subscribe. Goodbye forever. All right, sushi, so you can meow now if you want.